Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Judgment Call Podcast, and I am your man for the next probably an hour because this is kind of jam-packed. I am Miles Wilson. Thank you for tuning in again. I just got done watching the Baylor versus Oklahoma Conference Championship game, and that game was amazing. It ended up going into overtime. Like I, I was really done with this podcast this morning. And then the game came on. I was watching the game and I was like, okay, well, I'll start recording at halftime. The game really isn't as competitive as I thought it'd be because Baylor's starting quarterback got hurt. His head hit the turf and they ruled Charlie Brewer out of the game for the remainder of the game. And their backup quarterback, Gary Bohannon, wasn't playing fantastic. And I was like, ah, well, maybe this game is going to end up getting out of hand. And I uh, might as well just go ahead and record my podcast. But I don't know what happened. I don't know why they decided to put their third string quarterback in. But this this kid, Jacob Zeno, really went into the game and brought them back. I mean, like, granted, at halftime, it was only 13 to 10. Like, the game wasn't out of hand, but it didn't look very competitive. Baylor's offense got really stagnant. Oklahoma was still driving down the field. It just didn't look good. And they put in true freshman Jacob Zeno. And he looked fantastic from the jump. Like I'm saying, he threw an 81-yard touchdown on his very first play. Well, his very first play was a a flag on the play, so it didn't count. But his very second play, the only play that counted, he threw an 81-yard touchdown, followed by the next drive out. He threw like a 60-yard strike that got them to tie the game up and send it into overtime. Unfortunately, they lost because Oklahoma blitzed the hell out of him in overtime. Their defense came up huge, but the game was fantastic. I really hate that Baylor didn't win. They did look like the better team in the second half, but Oklahoma's defense finally decided to show up in overtime, and congratulations to Oklahoma for being the Big 12 champions. But this is college football championship weekend. Uh, Right now, the Memphis and Cincinnati game just kicked off. I'm watching that right now. But there are really only five matchups that matter in reference to the college football playoff. And that is Utah versus Oregon that finished last night. Baylor versus Oklahoma, which just finished about 10 minutes ago. LSU versus Georgia, which played tonight. OSU versus Wisconsin. And then Clemson and Virginia. I'm going to go ahead and start with the game that wrapped up first on Friday night, which is Utah versus Oregon. So last night, Oregon absolutely bullied Utah. They won the game 37 to 15. Uh, It really was not close at all for the entire game. Utah came into this game only allowing 56 rushing yards per game. And last night, they allowed 239 total rushing yards. 208 were to one guy in true sophomore, C.J. Verdell. He also had three touchdowns. And I'm, I, I, I try to be optimistic. I am a realist at the end of the day, but I try to be optimistic. And I live with the idea and the belief that People learn from their mistakes. 
if you make a mistake, I don't believe that you should dwell on it. I don't think you should beat yourself up about it. Just learn from it. Don't allow it to happen again when you're faced with that same situation. And when you're younger, like this is really something that affects you because you get whoopings. So when you're young, you make a mistake. Usually if it's like something big, your parents will spank you. Or if your parents told you not to do something, you do it anyway. You'll get disciplined. You'll get a whooping. And the exact same thing happens in football. If you lose a game and you don't adjust and learn from your mistakes, you get whooped. Utah's only loss prior to this game was to USC where Oregon looked at that game and said, you know what? We're going to do that exact same thing that USC did. We're going to institute the exact same game plan on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to put seven to nine guys in the box, and we're going to force Tyler Huntley to beat us with our arm. That's the Utah quarterback. And Utah did not learn from their mistakes, and they thusly got whooped. I don't know why they didn't institute a game plan since that game when they know that they rely so heavily on the run game when they were defeated in such a fashion. I don't know why they didn't institute like certain areas of practice where, hey, we're going to focus on being better from the pocket. We're going to focus on being better passing the ball. And it didn't look like they tried that at all. They were, they were sticking to their roots. They were like, hey, we're going to rely on a run game and we're going to hope our defense puts us in advantageous positions for us to go ahead and score. And that did not work in the slightest because there's things about good defenses. Your defense can only save you for so long. This is just a fact in every sport, in football, in basketball. If you're a great defensive team, at some point, your offense has to come around because at some point, your defense is going to slip up. You can't be a great defensive team every single night. One day you'll slip up and you'll need an offensive explosion. And if you don't have that, you will lose the game. And when they stuffed the box, Oregon, with seven to nine guys, and they just have single coverage on the outside playing press man defense, and they're saying, hey, Tyler Huntley, we want you to beat us with our arm. You could really see that Tyler Huntley is not a good pocket QB. His footwork was bad. His ball placement was absolutely terrible. There, the, At the times where his receivers did get separation, he would throw it inside the numbers to the wrong shoulder, giving the defense the opportunity to make a play on the ball. He stared down his receivers a lot. The One of his two interceptions that he had came from staring down one receiver. And the safety just followed his eyes and picked it off as if the play was ran for him. And he had a really hard time going through going through his progressions. He didn't really work across the field. A lot of times he knew where he was going. Everything was premeditated. He knew, hey, this is my read. I want to go here. He went there every single time. He didn't look at his first read, see so was wasn't there. Look at his second read, work all the way across to his third or fourth read. He didn't do that. And then he really struggled picking up blitzes, pre-snap adjustments. He really had a hard time with that. And it wasn't all his fault. It's, it's really, he is a product of the offense. He's really good for what their offense wants to do. Their offense isn't designed to be this air raid style of offense. It is designed to be this run heavy, 
read option, sparingly pass the ball kind of offense. And you could see that the, the receivers don't get much separation. They really aren't used to running a lot of routes a game. You can tell that in the way they run their routes, how quick they are in and out of their cuts. Some of the routes were really sloppily ran. There were a lot of drops. You can tell that they're not used to this. And if their run game isn't going, the rest of their offense gets extremely stagnant. And on top of having those struggles, Oregon came in with a very good game plan. But not only did Oregon have a good game plan, they played a lot more physical than Utah. At the point of attack, on the outsides, everywhere, they played a lot more physical than Utah did. And this is surprising because Utah is a very physical team. This is why they only allow 56 rushing yards per game because they are very physical. They get after you. But Oregon out-hustled Utah. There were times where Utah just looked like they were just going through the motions. And that sucks because I thought this was going to be a much better game. But it, it wasn't. Oregon really came out and wanted to win this game. The defense was more physically imposing. The offense played really hard. C.J. Verdell didn't just have a great game because the offensive line was blocking great. He had a great game because he was running through guys. He was running through arm tackles. If you didn't put multiple bodies on C.J. Verdell, he was running right through you. And Oregon also did not give up. They took no plays off at all. Like there was not a time where you could go out and be like, oh, man, Oregon really just didn't try right here. There were times where you could see Utah and they'll be like, oh, man, they just kind of gave up. Like, for example, there was a blocked punt by true freshman. I don't know his name, but he was number five. He was everywhere all over the field. His last name is Thibodeau. Don't know his first name, but he was a true freshman who came in and blocked the punt. It they were Oregon was playing punt safe, which means they're not sending any unnecessary pressure after the punter. They're just trying to make sure they field the punt and go on with their offense. They were playing punt safe and they still blocked the punt because Utah didn't really try. Their protection was sloppy. Guys weren't really going after the gunner and Thibodeau got back there and blocked the punt simply because he wanted it more. He was playing a lot harder than anyone on the Utah team. And also, the guy that won MVP of the game, Brady Breeze, he played hard all game. Like, I'm, I mean, like him and I believe, I'm not sure if he was a senior or not. I think he was a senior, Troy Dye. Both of them played really hard all game. Just their two safeties. They played fantastic. They had both of the interceptions in the game. And they played really hard. Everyone on the Oregon team really wanted to go out there and make a statement and win this game. That's why it sucks that they lost to Arizona State because they would more than likely be in the playoffs. I wish they had this exact same effort last week against Oregon State, not Oregon State, against Arizona State. They did play Oregon State last week, but it was two weeks ago when they lost to Arizona State that knocked them out of playoff contention. I wish they had the same energy because they would more than likely be in the playoffs, whether Georgia won or not tonight. And also, before I move on, Justin Herbert is still kind of raw as a quarterback prospect. He's probably going to go pro. He should go pro, in my opinion. He's still kind of raw as a quarterback prospect. But, man, he has a rocket launcher attached to his arm. 
Like, there were some plays last night where I was just looking at him throw the ball, and I was like, man, that day has some serious velocity on it. Like, I'm, I'm talking about he was fitted into some really tight windows, and every time he let go of the ball, it was just like a missile that was just going right towards the receiver. Like, there was a play in the red zone where he threw a bad pass. It was a bad decision, but he threw it so hard that the DB couldn't catch it. It just hit him right in the hands, went right through his hands, hit him in the chest plate. He threw it that hard. He has a rocket attached to his arm. He also made some really good throws. Like, there were some really accurate throws as far as ball placement goes. Like, he's, he picks the right shoulder pretty much every time. He always puts it on the outside of the numbers, or at least he always gives his receivers a chance to make a play on the ball. So if you get him with a really good quarterback coach, in college, not in college, in the NFL, I think he'd be a really good quarterback. But now that Utah has lost, it takes them out of the playoff race, but it does make it easier for the committee. Instead of three possible solutions, there are now only two possible pathways to make it into the playoff for a few teams. The easiest for the committee now is that all three undefeated teams take care of business, they win their games, and the Big 12 champion, which is now Oklahoma, it gets in as the one-loss conference champ. Scenario two is Georgia beats LSU, Ohio State and Clemson both take care of business, and the outcome of the Big 10 championship game does not matter because the top four is going to be Ohio, Clemson, Georgia, and LSU. In theory, on paper, their job is easy either way. Georgia wins, they're in. Georgia loses, Oklahoma's in. Those are the only two pathways unless Clemson somehow loses and maybe Ohio State still loses, but I'm pretty sure if Ohio State lost, they would still make the playoff. What really matters isn't who makes it. It's the order of the teams that make it. Currently, Ohio State is number one in the nation and LSU is number two in the nation. The number two team, no matter how you slice it, no matter who wins, whoever is the number two or three team has to play Clemson. That is not going to be fun for any team because the top three teams are top three teams are head and shoulders above the fourth team. But the top three teams are all going to be really competitive if they play each other. And playing Clemson in the first round of the playoff is not going to be fun. And you don't want to go into the championship game beat up if you do happen to beat Clemson. That is going to be a really hard out. And the number one team gets to play either Georgia or Oklahoma. That is much easier than playing Clemson. LSU plays number four Georgia tonight. And Ohio State plays number eight Wisconsin. What I believe will happen is the team that looks more dominant will probably be the number one team, whether Ohio State wins by 30 and LSU still wins, but they win like by 10. I think they'll give Ohio State the nod just because they were more dominant in their game. Now, do I think that should be the case? No, I think if LSU wins the game and Ohio State, whether they win by 30 or win by 15. I think if LSU wins the game, they should be the number one team in the nation. And it will be because they have beaten the number three team in Alabama. 
the number four team in Georgia, number seven team in Florida, and they beat two number nine teams when they played them. And I think it was Auburn and Texas was number nine at the time. Those are the teams they will have beaten. Those are all very, very good teams, and they will have the better strength of schedule heading in to the college football playoff committee poll, which comes out tomorrow morning, I believe. And that's why it matters more, because if you're LSU, you don't want to play Clemson. Will it be a great game? Yes. Do I want to see that? Absolutely. But if I'm being honest with you, I'd rather see Ohio State and Clemson play in the semifinal. I think that would be the better game. And then the winner gets to go on and play LSU. I think the LSU storyline with Joe Burrow is fantastic. But none of these teams want to play Clemson in the first round of the playoff because Clemson is a very good team. Trevor Lawrence has really turned it around the second half of the season. He is a 16-0 touchdown to interception ratio, averaging 267 yards per game, and is completing 76% of his passes. You do not want to go up against this Clemson team at full strength with their offense running on all cylinders. That's going to be a hard game no matter who you are. But I do think, given the strength of schedule, no matter the outcome of the Wisconsin game, unless they win by 50, I think LSU should be the number one team in the nation. All right, and now we're done with college football. I don't really think I need to go over any of the awards semifinalists. I might before, like the week before they announce the awards, I might say who I think should win each award. But for now, we're just going to go ahead and move on to NFL Week 14. Because we are blessed with three really good matchups and one must-win game for seeding implications for the playoff. And in the noon slate, we have two good games. We have the Ravens at Buffalo, and then we have the 49ers going to New Orleans to play the Saints. The first game I find extremely interesting is the Ravens playing Buffalo. And it is because the Ravens have been on an absolute tear the past five weeks. They've beat the Rams. They've beat the 49ers. They beat Houston. They beat the Bengals. And they beat the New England Patriots. And four out of the five wins have been by 17 or more points. The only one that wasn't was against the 49ers. And that was a fantastic game. And the MVP race has probably narrowed down. To two people, Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. Tomorrow, Lamar Jackson has a chance to prove why he deserves it against a very good Buffalo defense. I also really don't like the fact that this new NFL really favors quarterbacks for the MVP race. Like back in the day, anybody could win it. Running backs could win it. Defensive players could win it. Uh, Pretty sure the only people who weren't winning the award are wide receivers because they obviously are more dependent on their quarterback. But I really hate that nowadays it's just like, man, who is the best quarterback in the league? We're going to give that guy MVP. Because a guy like Christian McCaffrey is playing fantastic. He definitely deserves to be in MVP talks. And then Dalvin Cook also deserves to be in MVP talks. He is having a fantastic season. And... More importantly, something that probably will never happen. 
and a wide receiver winning MVP. But Michael Thomas definitely deserves to be in MVP talks. But in the NFL, like the current day NFL, you don't really hear about that. I mean, you hear heard about it last year when Todd Gurley was playing great. And they were like, ah, well, maybe he should be considered for MVP. But then Patrick Mahomes had the historic season. And then year prior, it was Wentz versus Tom Brady. Now it's Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson. And that's really all you hear when other people should be getting recognition. I'm sorry I went off on that tangent, but it's just like, ah. Like, come on, man. I'm tired of seeing quarterbacks win the award every year. Anyways, the next game in the noon slate is the 49ers going to New Orleans to try and beat the Saints. I think this game goes one of two ways. Either it is really, really good, one of the best games of the year, or it is going to be a blowout. The 49ers are going to blow out the, 40, blow out the New Orleans Saints. And here's why. We've seen what happens when the Saints and Drew Brees face a ridiculous amount of pressure when they played a, the Falcons a couple weeks ago. They shocked everybody when the Falcons won the game. And it was because they got so much pressure on Drew Brees. I think they sacked him like six times. It was a ridiculous amount of pressure, and they, could, they couldn't get any offense going. So we've seen what happens when the Saints face that kind of pressure. And the 49ers are capable of generating that kind of pressure on Drew Brees. So if that is to happen, I think that the game is a blowout. The 49ers run game looks really good. The defense puts them in positions where it's very short yard to gain situations. And they blow out the Saints. But the 49ers also have not faced a defense as aggressive as this Saints defense. They really get after you. And if the run game gets stopped and Jimmy Garoppolo has to beat the Saints with his arm, can he do it? I haven't seen it yet. If the defense is stopping the one thing that works, the running back by committee that the 49ers have going on is fantastic. If they shut that down, what can Jimmy Garoppolo do to help the 49ers beat the Saints? I'm not sure because I still haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. I want to believe in Jimmy Garoppolo. I have nothing against Jimmy Garoppolo. I just haven't seen it yet. So now we move on from that game to what I think is going to be the best game of the day. It is the Patriots at home versus the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are one of the hardest teams in the NFL to prepare for because of the pairing of Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes. Andy Reid is a really good coach. He really likes to just air the ball out. And Patrick Mahomes is a guy that can sling that rock. Like Patrick Mahomes is that dude, and he's really hard to prepare for because you can't prepare for what he does outside of the pocket. You can try and contain him the same way the Colts did earlier this year. Because what the Colts did is they said, hey, we're going to blitz you. We're going to get after you as hard as possible. We're going to play man coverage on the outside. And you have to beat us with your arm because you can only make so many amazing plays. Granted, 
Patrick Mahomes is good for a lot of amazing plays. But you can only do it so many times when you have so many speed guys and so many weapons on the outside. I'm not sure what kind of game plan the Patriots will implement. Of course, it probably will be similar to the Colts. But man, they are facing arguably the best defense in the NFL. It's really close between the Patriots and the 49ers. And last year in the regular season, the score was 43 to 40. The Patriots won. And in the playoffs, it was 37 to 31. And the Chiefs were an offside penalty away from going to the Super Bowl. And the Pats defense this year is really, really good. But their offense and their receivers just aren't up to par. So if the defense does their job, but the receivers are playing like they did against the Texans where they're dropping balls, running the wrong routes, being really lazy with their route running, well, then who knows what the outcome of the game is going to be. Because you can only contain Patrick Mahomes for so long. You can only contain Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. You can only contain these guys for so long before somebody breaks out. And if the Patriots offense can't get going and Patrick Mahomes starts to make plays on this fantastic defense, who knows how the game will turn out. But I do think this game will be the best one of the day, and I will definitely be tuned in. Thankfully, it is a noon, one of the games in the afternoon that the rest of the games kind of suck, so you really don't need to watch the rest of them. You can just thankfully tune into this game. And then the one game that I say is really important for playoff season and has, really, has a lot of importance really in the, the division too is... The Seahawks go to Los Angeles to play the Rams. And it's important because this is the difference between, I think, third seed and fifth seed in the NFC playoffs. It's only because the Seahawks and the 49ers are both in the same division. This game could be really important to the NFC West, too, because... The Seahawks and the 49ers are on a crash course to both be 12-3 and three, heading into the final game of the season where they have to play each other. If the Seahawks drop this game, that will be their third loss of the season. And then I think they have to play two cupcake games. I think they play uh, the Cardinals and then maybe the Colts. I'm not sure. I think it's the Cardinals and then... I'm not sure. But yeah, so they have to they have to play two cupcake games though. So after this game, it's the Panthers. There we go. So they have to play the Cardinals and the Panthers. Both of those should be wins. But if they drop this game, then those two wins won't really matter because they'll come in with the same record in the game and then they will have to beat the 49ers. But if they can pick up this game, they'll only have two losses, then they have to go play a Panthers team that just fired their head coach. And a young Cardinals team that's still learning how to win. And then they will be 13-2 and two, heading into a game where the 49ers could have possibly lost to the New Orleans Saints. And they will have the advantage heading into that game. And they will also have a better chance at being the higher seed in the playoffs. Hopefully they will have home field advantage. This is what the teams are jockeying for. They're jockeying for position in the playoff. And this game is really important. It's hard to beat a team twice that you have to play two times a year. So it's unfortunate they have to play the Rams, but they do need to get it done. I think if anyone can get it done, 
It's Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. We still haven't seen the trio of wide receivers play to their maximum capacity. But we will see how this game turns out. I think it will be a good one to watch. It might not be the best game of the day, but I do think it will be one of the four best games that you will watch on Sunday. And I'm done. I have taken enough of your time for today. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Hope you, if you're not, don't have anything planned, I hope you relax to your heart's content. If you have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate each and every one of you guys for tuning in whenever I do drop an episode. If you also made it this far, please share the podcast. The way, fastest way word travels is by word of mouth. So tell anybody, tell your friend, tell your friend to tell a friend, tell your friend to tell her auntie, and tell her to tune in just to listen to me talk about sports. This has been Miles Wilson. For the Judgment Call podcast, I really appreciate you guys. And until next time, I will holla at you when I holla at you. Peace out.